everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast produced by the NCRI Women's Committee. The NCRI Women's Committee is one of the 25 committees of the National Council of Resistance of Iran, NCRI, a broad coalition of democratic Iranian forces who work for a free and democratic Iran. The NCRI Women's Committee maintains a permanent contact with women inside Iran and works extensively with Iranian women abroad. It is actively involved with women's rights organizations, NGOs and the Iranian diaspora and attends the meetings of the UN Women, CSW, the Human Rights Council and other international and regional conferences. In this episode, we are going to discuss how misogyny is institutionalized in the Iranian regime's laws. The Iranian people have lived under a religious dictatorship for more than 40 years. Misogyny and discrimination against women are inherent to the Mullah's clerical regime. In one of its key publications, Institutionalized Misogyny in the Laws of the Mullah's Regime Ruling Iran, the NCRI Women's Committee explains and proves that misogyny is not a culture, but a function of the regime ruling Iran. In its advance through legislation of various laws and enforced by various government agencies, these misogynistic laws are the root cause and the underlying source of oppression and elimination of women from social, cultural, athletic, artistic and other fields of activities. These laws violate their rights and promote violence against them both in society and family life. My first question is, why the clerical regime is dubbed misogynist and what are some of the actions they've taken against Iranian women? Okay, let's uh, rewind uh, 43 years and start from the day the Mullah seized power in Iran. It did not take even a month for Khomeini to take the first step. On March 7, 1979, the eve of the International Women's Day, Khomeini declared that all female government employees were obliged to cover their hair and wear the hijab at the workplace. By doing so, the regime uh, violated Iranian women's right to freedom of thought and freedom in choosing her own clothes. Uh, they sent uh, club builders and hoodlums roaming in the streets, yelling out the notorious slogan of either the veil or a hit on the head. They humiliated women and terrorized the public. Uh, then, uh, in the spring of... Uh, 1979, the regime adopted a law which uh, deprived women of becoming a judge and sitting on the bench. Subsequently, they dismissed all female judges. Uh, other uh, measures included making numerous amendments to the laws. Some laws were explicitly against women. Others were ambiguous, allowing various interpretations depending on the desires of the judge in charge. Uh, these were just uh, the first set of actions by the religious fascism right after the people's victory in overthrowing the Shah's dictatorship to enjoy freedom and democracy and human rights. Now, the exact same attitude runs through all the laws and practices of the Iranian regime. Now that 
that we've learned about the mullah's misogynistic practices and its approach to the law, it seems reasonable to talk a bit about its constitution. Yes, of course. Uh, the mullah's constitution was drafted and adopted in 1979. That's the same year they seized power. The constitution identifies women with motherhood and regards childbearing and rearing children as their first and foremost duty. Part of the introduction to the constitution reads... Uh, women regain their crucial and invaluable duty of motherhood in raising vanguard ideological human beings while they themselves are comrades of men in active fields of life. So uh, from the mullah's standpoint, a woman is simply defined as a mother whose duty is giving birth to human beings who adhere to the ruling regime's ideology. Their pure being as a human with specific social, civil, and political rights was not even worth to be mentioned in the Constitution. Um, the other thing is that the Constitution considers women alongside men in social activities, not equal to them, but at the service of life. Uh, here you can see that uh, the Constitution implies that family, as the founding unit of society, must also adhere to the ruling clerical regime. Uh, this basic viewpoint on family and women sets the basis for all other legislations. Clearly, in such a misogynistic approach, women do not have a place in management and leadership. Now, uh, let's take a look at Article 115 of the Constitution. It's assumed in this article that the presidency itself is a sole right of men with religious and political background. In relation to a woman becoming a judge, the clerical regime has emphasized repeatedly through the years that only eligible men can be appointed as a judge according to the law adopted in April 1982. Uh, there's another article, Article 163 of the Constitution puts emphasis on the qualifications of a judge as discussed in the jurisprudential standards. Could you please give a few examples of how the Iranian constitution legitimizes and institutionalizes discrimination against women and violation of their rights? Sure, the constitution does so by justifying male domination over women. It says that women's right to inheritance is half of the rights of men, and the value of her testimony is half the value of the testimony of a man. Uh, principle 21 of the Constitution on Women's Rights points out that the custody of children is granted to qualified mothers to protect the children's interests in the absence of a religiously designated guardian. Paragraph 5 of this principle legalizes another obvious discrimination against women. Uh, the paragraph says that despite all the efforts of a mother to raise her child, a child's guardian is first the father, then the grandfather. If they do not exist, and if the mother was qualified according to the mother's backward criteria, then she could have the custody of her child. Okay, so far we learned that the Iranian regime's constitution classifies women as second-class citizens at the service of men. How about the civil code? 
Oh, yes. Um, the Iranian Civil Code has in various paragraphs practically defined women as males, captives and sex slaves. Uh, here's an example. A little girl, only nine years old, can be married off to a much older man upon the consent of her father or paternal grandfather if a judge approves it. She must live wherever her husband wants and she doesn't have the right to leave the house or work or travel without her husband's permission. It is clearly stated in Article 1114 that a woman must live in the house that the husband determines. The husband can prevent the woman from working or having a profession he does not like under the pretext of uh, being incompatible with the interests of the family. That a girl could be forced into marriage at the age of nine. This is something that happens in other countries too because of their culture. Why do you attribute this to the laws of the regime ruling Iran? Well, uh, I must stress here that uh, child marriage in Iran is not a cultural issue at all. As to why it's become a social catastrophe, I must point out to the policies of the Mullah's regime and to the fact that child marriage is institutionalized in the law. The statistics published by the National Statistics Center reveals that uh, some 130,000 girl children were married between um, the years 2016 and 2019. Of course, most child marriages are not officially registered and do not find their way um, to the press and media because of a lack of transparency on the part of the officials. But these figures are swelling in step with spreading poverty and the COVID-19 pandemic. Of course, if you'd like, you can find the latest information on this issue on the website of the NCRI Women's Committee. Uh, what I would like to stress at this point is that the young marriage age for girls serves the regime's purpose of marginalizing women. Article 1041 of the Civil Code sets the legal age of marriage for girls at 13. It also permits the father uh, and the paternal grandfather to wed their daughter at a younger age if they can earn the approval of a religious judge. Uh, in February 2018, the Mullah's parliament turned down a proposal to increase the age of marriage to 16. Uh, but as a member of the parliament said, um, the gentleman did not agree with raising the age of marriage. So, um, as you can see, uh, Iran's girl children are the most innocent and the prime victims of the Mullah's misogynistic laws, uh, so much that uh, in addition to the widespread child marriages in Iran, we now see the emergence of a painful phenomenon, which is uh, the marriage of very young girls, even younger than nine. Because of widespread poverty, families practically sell their daughters to get rid of their expenses. And um, here, the mother or even the maternal grandfather are legally not allowed to intervene. Another point I would like to add uh, in response to your question is, um, is that the regime's medieval laws also sanction temporary marriages. This is an inhuman and anti-Islamic measure 
which has been sanctioned by the fatwas of Khomeini, the founder of this medieval regime. If women have no choice over marriage, are there any laws that give them the right to divorce? Unfortunately, no. Uh, as far as the issue of divorce is concerned, men always have the first and last word. According to Article 1105 of the Civil Code, the family is headed by the husband. Uh, according to Articles 1122-1130, a man can divorce his wife for any reason, including various diseases and blindness from both eyes, even if those conditions existed for the woman at the time of marriage. He can even divorce his wife without informing her. In contrast, the civil code uh, puts numerous conditions and complexities on the way of a woman seeking divorce. Uh, furthermore, uh, when the husband and wife separate, uh, the custody of children older than seven years is granted to the father. What are women's rights in the civil code regarding inheritance? Well, all the articles uh, of the Civil Code on Inheritance, that is, uh, the Articles 861 to 949, underline that uh, the right to inheritance for women and girls is half the right to inheritance for men and boys. Uh, for example, Article 907 of the Civil Code states that in the event of multiple children, where some are boys and some are girls, the boys will inherit twice as much as the girls. One of the significant articles of the Civil Code on Inheritance, which is a blatant affront to Iranian women, deals with polygamy as well as permanent and temporary marriages. Article 942 of the Civil Code states that a man can have multiple wives. As for the division of his inheritance after he dies, the article states, in the case of a multiplicity of wives, one-fourth of the inheritance that belongs to the wife shall be divided among all of them equally. Logically, when the law considers women as second-class citizens, giving them no choice of freedoms, it must be, therefore, more lenient towards them. Is that so? Oh, no. Just the opposite. The regime's penal code is more vicious towards women. Whereas women are considered half-human when they are to testify, when it comes to punishment, she's considered the main culprit and has to endure heavier consequences. Article 1210 of the penal code uh, sets the age of legal and criminal accountability for women at 9 and for men it is 15. Also regarding the blood money, the blood money of a woman is half the blood money of a man. Uh, Article 382 of the Penal Code states that if a man deliberately murders a woman, he will not be punished in kind, that's a reference to the principle of retribution, uh, unless uh, he will not be punished in kind unless the victim's parents pay half of a man's blood money to the killer's parents. Now, if a woman murders a man, she can be executed upon the request of the victim's parents. 
Article 220 through 225 of the Penal Code view adultery as a crime and punish it with stoning or flogging. But in the case of protecting women, there is no law to prevent violence against women. Iranian women are totally helpless in the face of sexual violence and rape. Uh, the court and the misogynist laws not only do not protect a woman who attempts self-defense, but adds to the severity of her punishment. The case of Rehani Japori is one of uh, many examples. Uh, she was 19 when she defended herself against rape by a Ministry of Intelligence official, but she was convicted of murder. Uh, she served seven years in prison and yet was hanged at the age of 26. Uh, such collection of violence also includes women like Farzana Muradi and Razi Ibrahimi who were victims of violence twice, once when they were forced into marriage as a child and then when they were executed. To this point, we reviewed the misogyny institutionalized in the laws. How about new legislations in more recent years? Yeah, that's a good question. There have been new bills to complement the laws on the mandatory hijab um, or the compulsory veil. There have been legislations which ban women from engaging in certain jobs and professions. One of the bills the parliament passed was the bill supporting those who promote virtue and forbid vice. The bill provides support to the vigilantes and hoodlums who bully women on the streets by giving them warnings for failing to observe the veil. Um, in contrast, the bills proposed to protect some women's rights have been stalled for years. Really, is that true that the law facilitates street bullying of women? Yes, that's true. Um, the bill to support those in joining good and forbidding evil was passed in June 2014. The bill gives an open hand to hoodlums in committing any crime against women under the pretext of warning against improper veiling. Um, Iranian women actually have suffered enormous physical and psychological damages because of this bill, for example, during the wave of acid attacks on women. The objective is clearly stated in the introduction to this bill. Uh, it reads, and I will quote, The eighth principle of the Constitution sanctions enjoining good and forbidding vice as a general duty for all citizens and obliges all to be responsible towards the behavior of one another. The present plan merely attempts to lend legal support to those who enjoin good and forbid vice and to fill the legal vacuum in this regard. It is just unbelievable. Can you give us any other examples? Unfortunately, yes. Um, another example is that um, the Mullah's parliament adopted another bill on January 3, 2016, uh, which was entitled Protection of Honor and Hijab. The new bill considered improper veiling as a driving violation for women behind the wheels. Uh, it set fines for those who did not observe the veil behind the wheels and even for the drivers who carried improperly veiled passengers. Um, according to Article 1 of the Honor and Hijab Plan, I quote, 
The traffic police can deal with those drivers who take off their wheels in their cars and write a 100,000 reals ticket for them. Of course, in the case of these drivers, should these violations reoccur, the offenders would earn 10 negative points. Their uh, violation registered according to Article 7 of the law and their vehicle confiscated for 72 hours. Um, Article 2 of the plan states that female government employees who do not observe uh, compulsory veil will be reprimanded in writing and the instance registered in their employment record. If repeated, they will be deprived of receiving overtime wages and other similar benefits and one-third of their monthly salary will be deduced. Article 5 of the plan makes women's employment contingent on gender segregation at the workplace and restriction of their working hours to 7 a.m. to um, 10 p.m. Uh, failing to observe this article will be considered a violation of the law and the business unit that commits this violation will be closed down for one week and if repeated for one month. There is talk in the Iranian media outlets about plans to amend the law. Were they any successful? Yes, there are a few examples. The most important one is the Bill to Protect Women's Safety Against Violence. Um, this bill uh, was introduced with minor changes at various junctures. Uh, however, it has not been adopted yet after over 10 years. Whenever there is a heinous crime against women, Iranian officials start talking about the bill to calm down the public outrage, but again, the bill is forgotten. I would like to point out at this point that the NCRA Women's Committee has published many reports and documents regarding this and other ill-fated bills. Um, unfortunately, we cannot discuss them due to limits of time in this episode, but uh, I would suggest our listeners to visit the NCRA Women's Committee website for further information in this regard. Okay, we have reached the end of this episode. You can read about the Iranian regime's misogynist laws and much more about Iranian women's issues and struggle on the website of the NCRI Women's Committee. Take the time to visit women.ncr-iran.org. We hope that you liked this episode. In the next episode, we will be examining the empowerment of Iranian women. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>